1: What's the name of the little farting animal that kills all the crops that Billy Crystal is? Yeah. I was Umba. out on that. At, as soon as he started fart killing the uh,
2: the foliage, I was like, I'm done.
3: Fart jokes are uh, a, a key component of children's again, films. Once again, Tim,
2: you and I, the real Americans, find right. ourselves on the same right. page. Yeah. I guess That's in Berkeley, what... they don't like fart humor, but I'm <laughs> here not. to tell you that farts are hilarious in Knoxville. Funny Tennessee. stuff.
3: Jeff, the, the plants are dying. Because his fart stinks so bad. That's why it's funny.
1: Oh!
3: <laughs> well,
1: that changes everything. I'll go check it out again. 50 years of
3: music with 50 year old white guys. are you this evening? Welcome to 1997. Uh, Jeff, is Berkeley, California still intact?
1: Yeah, it, it, we're actually experiencing a season. It's been crisp, hey. fall, and in the 50s. Everyone's freaking out. Everyone's remembering their East Coast roots and <laughs> football. It's pretty great. Uh,
3: and Ben Barton, speaking of football, how are the volunteers doing in Knoxville?
2: Cold-blooded. Uh, Volunteers are having a struggle, but I I want want to give you some good news. Texas A&M had a huge COVID outbreak, so we don't have to play on Saturday. (laughs) And if they can't play in December, we might get a win by forfeit. So now, dancing. I'm hoping those guys just keep breathing on each other.
1: Who knew that COVID was the actual 12th man? That's our best bet these days,
2: for sure.
3: This is just (laughs) terrible. So well, on the campus or on the football team, they've had the outbreak.
2: Dude, it's A&M. I don't care about them. I mean, okay, like, sorry. I hope nobody dies. But yeah, right. I think the football team got sick.
3: Okay. Um, well, that is not the opening I wanted to uh, our podcast. But we are uh, 50-year-old white guys, and we are covering 50 years of music here on the Music City Drive-In Podcast Network. Uh, we are excited to be here for you Uh 1997 i'm still in vegas
2: ben where are you uh indian and i have moved from baltimore maryland okay. to uh princeton new jersey where my oh. brilliant wife has got a full ride to get a master's in public policy at princeton
3: damn sam wow that's really smart uh jeff simons kick kicking away
1: i was here still here <laughs> This is our first summer of grad school together, though, which was fun.
3: That That is true. That
1: was a big improvement.
3: That is good. That picked me up as well. Um, It is uh, Bill Clinton's, the beginning of his second term as President of the United States. I hope that goes well for him and the country. Um, No distractions. No distractions. Just focus on the work. Yeah. He named someone Secretary of State in January 1997, and it was a big deal. Who was it? I can't remember. And it was a big deal because it was our first female Secretary of State. I love this
2: heat, Timmy. I have no idea. Help us. Help us, brother.
3: <laughs> it was Madeleine Albright. Oh, I should have gotten that one. That's oh, weak. Boy. Well, you know, do you have cut...
2: any uh, Olympics questions for Jeff? Not <laughs> <You'll cut> '97, <97, laughs> no. But I've
3: got a Broadway question for the two of you. Oh, better
2: yet, which oh,
3: yeah. remarkably successful Broadway musical opens in
2: 1997?
3: No idea. Uh, Rent. It is. Oh no, it is uh, a Disney movie made into a musical. Lion King. Lion King is correct. Have either of you seen it? no No.
2: (laughs) No. i saw the movie
1: i saw the movie movie once in the theater and hated it and uh have never looked back ever never
2: revisited any of it wow i like the movie and i saw the live action one i'm sure you did too right tim
1: yeah why were you so out on the movie oh i thought
2: scary
1: all the like most obvious stupid disney like when What's the name of the little farting animal that kills all the crops that Billy Crystal is? Yeah. Like I was Uba. out. And that, at, as soon as he started fart killing the uh, the foliage, I was like, I'm done.
3: Fart jokes are I, uh, a key component of Once children's Once again, films. Tim,
2: you and I, the real Americans, find right. ourselves on the same right. page. Yeah. I guess That's in Berkeley, what... they don't like fart humor. But I'm <laughs> here to not. tell you that farts are hilarious in Knoxville. Funny stuff. Though. If I had wanted
1: to engage in rich political dialogue, I would have been on board.
3: Jeff, the the plants are dying because his fart stinks so bad. That's why it's funny. Oh,
1: (laughs) that changes everything. I'll go check it out again.
3: All right. (laughs) Um, All right. See if you guys can get this. I hate this movie. It was terribly, terribly long, uh, but I love the outfits. Which movie wins Best Picture in 1997?
2: The English Patient?
3: There you go, Jeff that Simons. Amazing, We're back. Jeff. We're wow. back. Let's go. Um, all right, no, that's enough. That pretty good. I don't
2: want to be for that.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, can we have a timeout real quick? Yeah, sure. Are those new glasses? I know, glasses? dude, the Harry Carey. <laughs> I was going to say, does Harry
2: Carey know you robbed his grave?
3: Um, I. These are... These are great. Hey, hey reading Norm, glasses.
2: you look like a hot dog. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad <laughs> Jeff Simons. <laughs> 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 Jeff Simons refuses to laugh at fart jokes, but making fun of kids in glasses. Woo.
1: Oh, I just like, think I've never all seen it. before. I You've know, it's much smaller frames going. Those are like, those are Jeez. big.
3: I have several pairs of reading glasses. Okay. Uh, My students really appreciate these ones. They really like them. (laughs) All right, let's get to the Grammy winner. Can we focus on on Ben Barton's face? Because I'm really interested in what he thinks of this song. I'm surprised. I'm not surprised at the number one hit. I am surprised at the Grammy winner. Go ahead, Jeff. It's the Grammy winner.
2: Sunny came home by Sean Colvin. (laughs) It Sunny just that's, yeah. like that's a brandy winner? Yeah. Really?
3: Barn, what's your opinion of the song
2: so um jeff will know this sean colvin came and played at haverford when she was not famous at all and she was so good oh yep. good really, really really good and jeff simons may not remember this uh the closing song her big number was diamond in the rough which i still ride hard for such a spectacular song brilliantly written and the solo acoustic version of that song is just, oh, all-timer. It really, I had that on my short list for those years. Like, that was one of the songs of the years when we were in college. Oh, cool. To the point where, and hopefully Jeff doesn't know this, this was one of my go-to make-out songs for the ladies like i'm sorry I diamond in the rough or, or diamond in the rough i put diamond in the rough on and i was explaining this to india later and she was like well why would you choose that song i was like this is an explanation for why you're making out with ben barton your hope is that you've got a diamond in the rough that's the best that you <laughs> hope for like, that's my pitch to you ladies is i could be a diamond in the rough it's obvious i'm probably coal, but just let's let's keep hope alive while we're
3: there there is a subtext here ladies you gotta keep so, up with it
2: um we saw her and it was amazing. She puts out her first produced record with a whole band and they re-record Diamond in the Rough as a band song and it's, it's borderline unlistenable. Like, oh God. it's so bad. And she's just crippled by her production and the record company. They saddle her with the wrong sound over and over and over again. This one's actually sort of, and, like, and then she puts out a cover album. You know what I mean? Like They just keep making her do things that put her in a position not to succeed. Obviously, she got a Grammy, so maybe this is the position to see. But I mean, when I saw her play live solo acoustic, and I mean, like, she could, like, in my opinion, she could have definitely had the the career, one of these solo acoustic female careers, where she's still out playing right now, like the Indigo Girls, like where she's just still doing that somehow this like overproduced version of her really 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 didn't play very well like again i imagine if i heard her play this song solo acoustic i would be like oh i kind of like that but as this version of it i'm just not into it
1: so i saw this tour and i actually saw the two exact kind of artists you're talking about on the same bill because this is sean colvin's this is her hero moment i can't believe it won the grammy i don't know how that happened Um, the
2: grammys continue to be a puzzle
1: what a puzzler, but I love this song because um, I saw her do it live and live with a four piece without it, you know, with her and a lead guitarist bass drum stripped down, it, it hit like a, like a wallop. And I really enjoyed her set, even though there were moments when I wish it had been more intimate. Opening act that night, Patty Griffin. Oh yeah. Before her first record is out, playing all those songs from Living With Ghosts, just like voice guitar and filling the whole room. I'm definitely the alpha and omega of Sean Colvin's career, but uh, I really like this record. A uh, few small repairs. I don't. It's, there's some stuff in the middle that's hard to listen. to That sounds like very 90s dated. Um, but I this one and get out of this house and there's a couple other really good songs on here. She's
3: uh, I think she's 41 when she wins the Grammy.
1: She this whole record is about a, a terrible divorce that she had, oh. and uh, not to name a whole bunch of names, but I. I interviewed a guy a year later whose road manager was Sean Colvin's ex-husband. Oh, and interesting. So I heard this whole record about this horrible guy who'd done all these terrible things to her. And then he was the guy I was emailing back and forth with. To set oh, with you. And awkward. He was, yeah, it was, I mean, he was, he was lovely to me, but it was definitely one of those like, Hey, I know a lot more about you than you know about me. Moments. You know? Well,
3: maybe he uh, he used it as a chance for growth.
1: Let's hope so.
3: let's hope so. Um, it's
1: the best Grammy song in a long time, yes? I mean, I
2: think so. Good. I mean, I, I mean, I,
3: really listenable.
2: Oh, yeah. Um, best sense, don't worry, be happy. Yep. Uh,
3: all right. Divorce becomes legal in Ireland. Excellent work by them uh we got a jeff simons you're our olympics expert but you're also our cult expert on the podcast and okay. uh i want to i want to know about the heavens gate cult suicide that happened in 1997 so this is san
1: diego right this is this, this is correct these- yes these folks are all living in a house together, and, uh, and,
3: and thirty-nine of them commit suicide together.
1: Yeah, and and it's bec- and this is the spaceship group, right? That, Th- the that is correct. Is to take them all away to another place, <laughs> and uh, so they all they all drink the Kool-Aid to prepare for the space voyage. I uh, can't remember the name of the leader though. Uh,
3: I can't either, but it's because the H- Hal Bop Comet was coming back around That's again.
1: Right, it was the comet, the hale comet. Yeah, was the and they- the World they, and the arrival of the
2: spacecraft. The right.
3: spacecraft was gonna be in the tail of the comet, and they had to commit suicide, of course, to get on the spacecraft.
2: And by the way, y'all are just jealous. They're enjoying the back of that comet right now. <laughs> yeah, right yeah. now, they're like playing peenuckle and just digging it. Who is
3: it? Who are we to say, control. right? Who are we to judge? Maybe, maybe you're right. Sorry, Jeff. What you say?
1: That funny bit about suicide solving all your problems. He's like, got a problem with the environment? Kill yourself. It's not your problem anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it was dark, super dark. But I think I it was Soundgarden. <laughs> <laughs> <could have> <laughs> Sound
2: <Garden. laughs> Too soon. Too soon. Kyle's Out. not even here to defend himself anymore. He's
3: not. We haven't even introduced him. So, all right.
2: Go to your happy place
0: for a happy price. Go to your happy price, priceline. Life is
3: hard, but finding a really great podcast
0: makes the days go by so much easier. Hi, my name is Blue Tulusma. I'm a writer, an emotional intelligence coach, and the host of Humanize with Blue Toulousema, a podcast where we believe that when you humanize everyone in the room, a great conversation is almost guaranteed. Join us every week here on Electric as me and my guest co-hosts unpack big topics and interview even bigger personalities with a sense of humor and a dash of mischief. If you're looking for a new best friend in your head, we've got you covered. Electric
3: Princess Diana dies in a car crash. She's being chased by paparazzi and she doesn't know that her driver is under the influence of both drugs and alcohol as he flees from the paparazzi uh, and she dies in that car crash.
1: On my birthday. Oh, she's... August 31st. Well, it was 30th in America. They were <laughs> okay. It was late. It was early morning on the 31st. But... I see, I see. Okay, okay. nice try, Jeff.
3: Good
2: <laughs> work. trying to try exactly on. Nice. Try to glom on to Princess Diana. Have a little respect. Perfectly nice
1: birthday party until somebody said, Hey, turn on the news. And then it was oh, not such a nice birthday. Gosh, party. that's terrible. um I couldn't go to my makeout song that night.
3: <laughs> we also had uh, Mother Teresa, which, by died. the
2: way, is short okay. people. <laughs> 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 Enough, All
3: right? Randy Newman.
2: I want to show people the little hands and little feet part. <laughs> little, the I like the
1: peep, peep, peep. That's my favorite part. The voices, <laughs> little voices go peep, peep,
2: peep.
3: All right, that is so disturbing. And you, uh, you totally buried my uh, Mother Teresa story because she dies as well,
2: also on Jeff's birthday, no doubt.
3: Uh, <laughs> i sure he's it's globbing fun. onto her It's the number one
1: hit Candle in the Wind 97 by Elton John
2: Oh, This is one of the ones I hate Goodbye, England's Rose May you ever grow in our hearts You were the grace that placed itself
3: Where lives were torn apart Alright, stop, stop Stop. Can, can you do this? I know we've had this. We've had questions on this podcast before about the appropriateness of Natalie Cole <laughs> digging up her dad's recordings and singing over them, uh, or Eric Clapton singing about his son's tragic death. If you want to write and record a song about Princess Die, don't you have to write and record a song about Princess Die? You can't just take Marilyn Monroe's song and just put on a few new lyrics like England's Rose. Was she ever called England's Rose? That's just made up anyways.
2: Now you're singing my tune, man. I, totally I am obs- I, like, I This was... is just a straight up cash grab. Yes. And Elton so John definitely, I mean, bless his heart, as we would say in the South, like he wants to stay relevant. And this was certainly relevant, dude. You could not walk outside your room without having this. Oh, huge face. hit. But it was brutal. And also, it was like, you know, this was one of the songs by Elton John where I was like, eh, you know, like Tiny Dancer, Candle in the Wind. Like, you know, it's on the list of things that I can kind of stand. But then he had to spoil this, too. He, he ruined it. He ruined it.
1: Here's the part that's unforgivable. Like, you remember that all of the proceeds to the Candle in the Wind purchase of the single were going to the landmine relief organization that awesome. was. Awesome. please, had. please tell me that's still true. Well, uh oh the profits to the song candle on the wind 97 went to the to the but there's a b-side he threw something about the way you look tonight on as the b-side and all the profits of the sale of that song went into the pockets of Elton John so that I, song was a huge hit too well i mean i'm saying That's the same record ago, the single sold, you don't remember this? It sold over 100 million copies. It supposedly raised $211 million for the charity, but it also raised $211 million for Elton John at but, the same time. But nobody the bought song, it for the other song, Jeff Simons. He didn't, he didn't donate the profits of the B-side. He only donated the profits but of the b But
2: there are no profits <laughs> of the B-side. This makes me like it better, by the way. Now I'm into it. I'm like, <laughs> go, Elton. Get your cake, baby. Do it.
1: That part I just find so gross.
2: Oh come on, those landmine guys, they can hop along to some other problem. Like <laughs> Elton needs that money.
1: They probably lost at least half their limbs to the landmines. They can, they'll be happy with half the money. <laughs> For sure, see. Okay. Yeah, that part I find that part uh, just so gross. That did not come up in Rocket Man, surprisingly. That little that little business. That move. little
3: tidbit. Oh that is depressing as heck. Yep. Uh, now I'm all, now I'm all mad. Okay. In 1996, we didn't talk about this. Evander Holyfield fought Mike Tyson. Uh, my buddy, Joe, Jeff, who you've met begged me, begged me to put money on Holyfield. And I said, cause I was living in Vegas and I could go bet on a boxing match and he couldn't. Um, and I said, I won't do that to you. And he's like, I'm sending the money right now. And I'm like, no, no, I'm saving you from losing $1,000. Turns out I was wrong. Holyfield won. Is
2: this the ear-biting one?
3: And then the the rematch is 1997. Holyfield wins that as well, but it's not from a TKO. It's a DQ.
1: What happens? Tyson bit his ear off. (laughs) And I've I've got such a good story. Thank you for teeing me up. In nineteen, is it ninety-seven or ninety-eight it's, that we go to? It's 90, Bill- ninety. Oh, that you and I go. Yeah. When's the Billboard Music Awards? I I can't remember. It's probably ninety-seven. I think it's fall of ninety-seven. Okay. Um, e Online flies yeah, to Las Vegas to cover the yeah. Billboard Music Awards for no reason whatsoever, except that I have a friend who works at E and he wants to give me a vacation to Las Vegas. I meet up with Tim. I give Tim the ticket. That I have to go watch the show, and I stay backstage where the press are supposed to be, and we're all supposed to stay at these sad tables underneath and eat craft services and watch the show and write about it. But I realize that all the stars are out in the hallway, waiting to go up and present award. So I just wander out there, and everyone's there just hanging out. And I get to talk to Buster Rhymes. I talk to Tony Braxton. I talk. Oh. To... By far and away, the great moment is I'm. I'm suddenly face to face with with Evander, and we're oh. chatting. And I call him Champ, and he loves it. And he has, I'm like, what are you doing here? And he's like, I don't know what I'm doing here. And we talk for like two minutes, and I say, Hey, man, I gotta ask. And he kind of looks around and goes, You want you want to touch it? <laughs> <laughs> I say, yeah, yeah, I really do. And he and he, he bends on and he lets me touch his ear, which has just <sighs> three enormously hilarious accurate tooth marks in it. I <laughs> mean oh. Tyson just bit that thing off in one chomp and spit it out and Holyfield was like that's eh, fine. It oh my it. god. So I have not I I've not only seen it but I've actually I've touched. actually touched Evander's shoot up ear <laughs> with my own left hand. Wow. Ben
3: what's your Evander <laughs> Holyfield ear story?
2: Oh no, I asked to touch it, but it was something different.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Unbelievable. That was one of those moments where like I was in Vegas and you hear the news report. It's like, wait, what?
1: What just happened? And yeah, also, it was crazy. I was watching it. Like you did you guys see it live? I was definitely watching I was,
3: no, it. No, it was not live, but um
1: started jumping up and down. I mean it was but it's that's what crazy footage. It was that's really an, sad
2: for Tyson, I mean, to, to fall was, to
3: that level. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It was really bleak. Uh, speaking of sad, in 96 in Vegas, Tupac is shot and killed, uh, gosh, in, in like the first three months of, of when I moved there. And then in 97, uh, Biggie is killed. Uh, any relation between those two unsolved murders?
1: Well, you apparently had just moved there. What's your alibi for? But I
3: was not in L.A. when Biggie was killed.
1: I find it, I find it remarkable that they have no leads and no progress of any kind on that.
3: Well, I, I think they pretty much know who, who shot Tupac. Um, and, and he died, uh, I think, a year later in a, in a, in a drive-by. But I don't. I've never. I never understood the East Coast West Coast thing, and I had no idea. I was talking to Ben earlier that Biggie was only twenty four.
2: I thought he was older. He was like,
3: like the leader of the East Coast rap. No.
2: Yeah. So the Biggie and the Tupac thing was the natural end to where it was all heading. Like they moved so hard into gangster rap, and dude, if you don't know it backwards and forwards you should listen to hit him up the 2 song it's so it's a it's a disrap against biggie you can't believe how mean it is the first like the in the first 30 seconds of the song he's like i fucked your wife you fat motherfucker And then he's like, there's another guy. And then I can't remember the name of it. There's another rapper in that crew where he's like, doesn't one of you have sickle cell? Like in the first 30 seconds. And then the end of it is just them saying, we're going to shoot you. We're going to shoot you. We're going to shoot you. And then um, my daughter, my older daughter, really, really, really likes Biggie. And like, you forget like that, like speaking of the Soundgarden suicide stuff, the Biggie suicide stuff is grim grim he's got multiple songs about how he can't wait to die he hates himself he's got like there's there's several suicide songs God, like they were foretelling their own deaths and then it happened and it's just super grim and actually it's a weirdly it's a great cautionary tale like the like the a lot fewer people have died in hip-hop since then but they they were not like they, there's the people who are like talking about that life and the people who actually live that life. And then there's the people who are play acting it to the point where they freaking kill each other. Yeah, and that's what yeah. happened with these dudes, like super talented people who made a bunch of money. Like, and you can hear it in Jay-Z and Kanye and other people, like, and uh, all of these guys. Like when they talk about it, they're like, I, like, I don't want to die. Like, why would you <laughs> die? Like that seems sort of pointless. Di- and painful. Gunshots no, really, are bad.
1: Those records are really nihilistic. And the real meaning of that word like they're really they were really uh without hope, they were hopeless records, especially bicky's record man, that ready to die record is uh it's a really um, – it's an sh- even more sobering listen now, I think, than it was in the
2: moment. because it, Yeah, although that being said, dude had bangers. I prefer you – know, I mean, I'll just be frank. i mean, East Coast guy. I like him better than Tupac. Like, I could name five to ten Biggie songs that I'm just like, oh, ride or die for that. They're bangers. All
3: right. Hey, a new segment on the 50-year-old <laughs> – shit. A new segment <laughs> – on fifty years of music with fifty-year-old white guys, it's uh, it's welcome to the vortex. Longtime listener Kyle, Kyle, what's your last name?
0: It's Caprista.
3: Caprista, yes, sir. And you are here because you you take issue, is that correct?
0: <laughs> well, the funny thing is, I was thinking about this and. I'm realizing your listeners may not know that there's an issue because the only time that this band has been mentioned Uh-oh. was as a okay. mid-tempo, an example of a mid-tempo song that people should not <laughs> want to listen to. But I, I know Jeff Simon's. I go back with Jeff, so I know, I know that Mr. Benjamin on this this podcast does not like Soundgarden.
3: Okay. And the thing is,
0: is I am a rabid. I grew up on grunge. Was my first music. I was in fifth grade when uh, ten. And Temple of The Dogs records came out, okay. or when Pearl Jam's Ten came out. It was the first music that I liked because I was was listening to like young MC and New hey Kids a Move, like yes sir. Um, so that was the first music that like made me stand up and take notice of like what is, what is what's going on here. So
1: well, wait, uh, Ky-
3: Jeff, how do you
1: know Kyle? So Kyle Caprista is a drummer extraordinaire in the Bay Area. He and okay. I have been in the rhythm section for Megan Slankard and the wreckage. Oh, for sure. seventeen years together. Kyle oh, yeah. is tested with Rich Price. He's a killer session player. He's got dozens of credits, and he's now also the dynamic lead singer of a party band called Mercy and the Heartbeats, which is a uh, great name player, a staple. And he's, uh, you know, he's got good ears, and he's got, he's got good opinions, and he's good at being loud about them. So I just
2: thought he was a natural <laughs> guest for this. Kyle, well, you made the trip from drummer to lead singer? Yes, sir. I like it. Yeah, <laughs> Following the Eagles path. It's very That's impressive. Right. Yeah. Right. I wish,
0: I wish I sang as well as Don Henley. It makes it a little, little bit easier when you sing that well.
3: So, uh, all right. Well, I, I had a student come up to me just this week, Kyle talking about Soundgarden and I'm like, how do you know Soundgarden? He's like, Oh, they're so great. You know, do you know them? I'm like, I don't know how to tell you this, but I'm out <laughs> on Soundgarden kid. Um, so he's going to love this segment. Go ahead. Defend Soundgarden. What, are, what am I missing? What are you missing about, okay,
0: here's what you yeah. guys are missing about Soundgarden. To me, when you take the autopsy of grunge, which to me it's, it's appropriate that I'm on in 1996, because this is when Down on the Upside comes out, which is Soundgarden's last record before going on hiatus, and really kind of signals the end of the music industry and MTV supporting grunge as a product that they want to really get behind and try to milk, you know, for a profit. Um, <clears throat> and so to me, uh, there's a great book called Everybody Loves Our Town, Uh, It's an oral history of grunge. If people want to learn about the scene and how it came to be, um, it's a great read. But to me, looking back on it, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, I look at those as the big two. You know, Alice in Chains, there was a big four, which included Alice in Chains and uh, Nirvana. But to me, Nirvana being short-lived and the fact that Alice in Chains was basically a hair metal band until they got into heroin, um, just makes it tougher huh. for that, that music to age well. And so to me, I look at Pearl Jam and Soundgarden as the two um, uh, flag carriers for grunge music. Okay. And to me, grunge music was the reincarnation of 70s rock. And you had Pearl Jam, who to me took after The Who, The Kinks, uh, Springsteen, and The Ramones. And then you had Soundgarden, which took after Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, Motorhead, and bands like that. Huh. And so to me, a band like um pearl jam it's it's not surprising that that was the first band i really got into and loved because they were much more accessible sure when when super unknown came out i had that in my tape deck and i used to walk around uh with my headphones on it it was the first record i ever listened to that scared me it made me uncomfortable it challenged my ear in a way that um other records to that point hadn't even though i love pearl jam but 10 to me is a much easier listen that's fair and so and so to me, they're a band like they, they were the band that was using alternate tunings. They, they created soundscapes. They weren't afraid to be adventurous in that way. Um, and to me, they were, they were a lot like Zeppelin. They have big riffs. They're four piece, uh, an amazing, unique drummer that really takes up, uh, and plays in a sonic space that not a lot of other drummers play that way. They had a bassist, Ben Shepard, who wrote a lot of songs and played bass in a very melodic, not kind of typical bass player way. And, um, When I heard that that Ben was out on Soundgarden, I'm like, how can a guy who picked a song like Rain Song and who's a a fan of, you know, the Rolling Stones, a band that would do songs like Moonlight Mile and stuff like that, that to me,
2: those are, that's what Soundgarden was channeling. Oh, wait, wait. wait. So hold on. What's the Soundgarden Rain Song? Uh, don't say Black Hole Sun, because I've told no. you how I feel
0: about that. No, they have songs like like Suicide. They have a lot of slower songs that are alternate tunings, take up a lot of interesting sound space. They challenge your ear. I mean, to me, what you said about the Rain song was totally correct. It's a song it, – It to me, it's a challenging song. It's a longer song. It's got an arc to it. And to me, like, I love Pearl Jam. And as they got later into their career, they started doing some stuff like that. But even, the, even then, they were doing, like, Neil Young's version of that. They weren't doing – there was nobody – pushing in that other kind of uncomfortable direction that for me, I really appreciate and like to be challenged in that
3: way. What, what is their islands in the stream? <laughs>
0: What's their <laughs> islands in the stream? <laughs> probably uh, probably my wave or spoon man would be your islands. We'll give, in the
1: yeah, let's, um... give a little my wave right here. Yeah, let's Although do it. to be fair.
0: Yeah, there you go.
3: 54
2: five four five four yep. time so kyle the drummer in Soundgarden is great and he's the future pearl Jam drummer and the drummer's great so i can understand why if you're a drummer you would be more into it dude they've got two guitarists and I, I i was not a big fan but i had no idea they had two guitarists i assumed it was one guitarist they have no interplay between the guitars and it's not particularly strong either of the players Like, that song, like, one person could play that really easily. Like, they don't need two dudes to stand up there and do that. Um, And then, like, just for me, and again, like, I totally get it. Believe me. Jeff is a huge, huge, huge Who fan. And I understand that. He's, like, the Who's better than the Beatles and the Stones. And Jeff and I know people who are huge Kinks fans who are like, oh, no, no, no. The Kinks are better than the Who, the Beatles, and the Stones. So I totally get it. And, in fact, I love it. I'm here for the Soundgarden people. Like, it makes me super happy to hear you be like, oh no, this is the A+, this is the best version of it. Um, It's too slow, it's too much of the same pace. And then also just as a lyrical matter, dude, they're so depressed. Like Led Zeppelin runs the whole gamut. Uh, My brother went to Berklee College of Music for the summer and he took a bunch of guitar classes. And my brother's a super extra smart guy and is also a a much better guitarist than I am. Anyhow, needless to say, his roommate at the Berklee College of Music was not a super smart guy. He was a (laughs) a way better guitarist than either one of us. Anyhow, my brother's roommate, this is what he had to say about Led Zeppelin. He was like, I love Led Zeppelin. And my brother was like, why? And he's like, they got a song about everything. And my brother was like, really? He's like, yeah, you like Lord of the Rings? They got a song about that. (laughs) Your girlfriend's a bitch? They got a song about that. You love your girlfriend? They got a song about that. And me and my brother were like, that's that's true. They like, really, they cover the whole waterfront. <laughs> Just those three items. Yeah, totally. I was like, oh, look at that. They really do. They have like weird mysticism and bitches and lovable women. There you go. Um, the, for me, Soundgarden, it was like, I mean, I was like, what's the rain song? And you were like, like suicide. And I'm like, no, sorry, friends. Like that's not <laughs> the rain song. That's not the same emotion.
3: Wait, did you say like suicide? They have a... A song called the last Like Suicide? Song multiple super dude it's super
2: grim. They have multiple and it's really sad the poor guy killed himself. I mean, they have oh. multiple songs that are about suicide. I I mean, at least I'm not an expert in it, but I put 25% of their catalog is about suicide.
0: Yeah. Uh, well the really- thing I I've been uh what I've been actually what I wanted to ask was just the, the age difference, which isn't a great age difference, but the but the fact that yeah uh, like when I think about music and what was coming, what the popular rock music was right before grunge was hair metal. And yeah. what, I've, what I've always said was, I couldn't imagine myself being in Poison, but I could imagine myself being in Soundgarden. Right. Now, lyrical content aside, it's just a mood and a feeling that, and granted, I'm a huge Van Halen dude. Like, I love fun rock music. But the fact is, the time and the place that I was at when this music hit right. was like, I couldn't have, I'm not, I'm not going to be in a boy band. <laughs> and I, I, I have not done cocaine yet. Um, and I can't imagine, I just can't imagine being in these hair metal bands and putting on makeup and, and primping my hair. But these dudes come out, they just look like they walked out of the rehearsal studio. They got flannels on. And it just hit for me in that way. And then right. later on, I came to more appreciate the 70s kind of rock. But I, I got into these bands first. So the fact that I do like Led Zeppelin, I got into Soundgarden first. So even right. though I realized that that Soundgarden came after, for me, there's no way to put that genie back in the bottle. Mm.
1: That's exactly why Tim got into Luther Vandross.
3: Right,
0: right. Fair. he <laughs> could see Fair.
1: himself as Luther, but he couldn't see himself <laughs> as somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> that was I a love
2: book. it, man. Well done. Yeah. Hey Kyle, thanks like so it.
1: much for jumping on, man. You are the you are the uh, the straw that stirs the drink, as far as I'm concerned, and. Uh, I actually
3: remember you from uh, Megan's video.
1: Oh yeah, oh,
3: right. You were outside the, the restaurant that turned into a club for the night. I was. That uh, was
1: great. Yeah, mugging if you want for to the, hear Kyle playing, check out records by Megan Slankard or Elliot Randall. All Thanks, All right, Appreciate it. Yeah, we'll see you well later. I on, man. Love Take to care. The, the Marty soon.
3: Stewart T-shirt on as well. <laughs> awesome. Gotta represent.
1: <laughs> All right. Thank you,
3: Kyle. Good stuff. Good stuff. Still don't know about Soundgarden. I will give it a try. I will give it a try. I will report back next week on how it all goes. But for right now, let's
1: get to... I'm going to predict it doesn't go super well. I'm just saying. You're going to want more lightness of being than they're going to be willing to provide.
3: Well, I I was going to skip this based on time. But I, I... as long as you say that, I was going to do an invitation to optimism tonight rather than oh, an invitation to perfect. cynicism. Yes! Because one of our heroes dies in 1997. And I just want us to all embrace him and his memory and name our favorite song by John Denver. Uh, ben Barton, you go first.
2: Uh, <laughs> let me- it's optimism. Come on. Hold on. I'm going to try all right i really 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 like the song country roads it's okay. a beautiful song it's well written his version of it is unlistenable crap but the song itself is great
3: um i, I mean for those uh, for those listening who don't know john denver jeff do you have a, a little clip for us ready to go oh sure
2: thank god i'm a country boy
1: Classic John Denver, super scummy, and
2: mm-hmm. he was born in the summer of his twenty seventh year. Coming home to a place he'd never Which been before. Which one is before. this? Talking about nine.
3: Oh, yeah. Yesterday, behind him, you might say he was born again. You might say he found the key for every door.
1: When he first came to the mountain. All right. So here, John Denver's a super talented guy. He's a great guitar player. He's actually an alternate tunings guy. Um, I think there's, there's several strikes that, against him that he can't recover from. One is that he's so insipid. I mean, these songs are just, they're just one note. My favorite John Denver song is also my least favorite. It's Grandma's Featherbed. You guys wear that one? <laughs> He was five feet high, nine feet wide and soft. It's a downy tick. I mean, it's just unforgivably cheese ball. Um, His voice, this is a guy who actually pronounces the ing in words instead of in. You know what I mean? Like, I'm singing, he's singing. And it just, it it really distracts me how grammatically (laughs) overaccurate John Denver is. And then he's a total fraud. He was uh, a drunk and a and beat up his wife. Oh, no. Yeah, and all this like, and just the one note, I mean, basically it was just an ad for Colorado tourism. I mean, Jesus Christ, so many songs about how pretty Colorado is. Like, he was definitely on the take. But he's he's a hell of a guitar player and a very good singer. And I understand why, I do understand why people like him, but there's just no chance he's my cup of tea.
3: I just don't think you understand what optimism means when i say the invitation to optimism
2: you did what? not put us in a position to succeed you did I not, did not. Put, you knew what you were asking for and you completely so hit it um
3: i had no idea i lo- i was looking at how many albums he had created holy cow the oh, guy yeah. churned them out from like 68 into the 90s. It was crazy. Oh, listen, that
2: cabin in the mountains doesn't pay for itself, man. He <laughs> has to ring out that cash.
1: All right, let's go. Like, very, th- I think of John Denver, <clears throat> correct me if I'm wrong, Ben, but I think of John Denver in the same vein as like Jimmy Buffett or uh like who's another like perennial singer? Like if Don McLean were still alive, like the guy you go watch in a summer venue and do the four yes. songs you're vaguely familiar of and then that's what you give him,
2: right? right? S- a sensitive 70s <laughs> guy. That's, like, that's fair. Sure. I mean, I'm not gonna like, that's it. Yeah. I said what I have to say about Country Roads and that's all I have to offer.
3: <laughs> okay. Thank you. Way to appreciate the framework of the question. Uh, let's go, our three songs. <laughs>
0: Are three songs.
2: All right. So Art Alexakis was born 1962. And I'm not going to have to speculate about what a horrible, horrible childhood he has. Because he writes an entire record about how miserable and unbearable his childhood is. He's five years old when his dad leaves him. He's 12 years old when his mom is hauled off to a mental institution. He's shipped around to various relatives all over the country. Okay. He uh, is a, his brother ODs on heroin when he's 12. His girlfriend kills herself when he's 15. He tries to kill himself when he's 15. He gets addicted to first meth, then cocaine, then heroin. And he's just in and out of various homes. And it's just like, oh, he moves into the projects in LA. Like it's brutal and grim, 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 grim. 89, he kicks drugs and he's trying to make it as a musician. So he starts out in San Francisco and he's in the cowpunk scene in San Francisco. So his first band, which is just awesome, is called The Easy Hoes. That's the name of his cowpunk band. And dude, I did not, I'm sad to report, although I don't remember seeing the easy host i lived in san francisco the summer of 1990 and i went to multiple cowpunk shows oh. because i was really really into buck naked and the bear bottom boys so this is a guy <laughs> who appears buck naked oh, well, that's a,
1: had to touch it he's got true? a
2: plunger yeah. over his crotch and he wears cowboy boots and a cowboy hat and he's naked that's it. And then they wow. do this cowpunk act. They do, they do like, you know, uh, Johnny Cash songs, sped Up. I have one particular show that I remember really vividly. I'm at the I-Beam on Haight Avenue, a club. I had to look up to figure out what it was. It doesn't exist anymore. And it's uh, Buck Naked and the Bare Bottom Boys and Ted Zeppelin. So Ted Zeppelin is a cover act in this <laughs> Cowpunks thing where they do half Ted Nugent, half Led Zeppelin covers. And Jeff Simons, were they awesome?
1: No question. <laughs> they were
2: awesome, man. I can't say how good Ted Zeppelin was. And, and this is pre indiana canon. I brought a date and that night went swimmingly. Like the buck naked Ted Zeppelin combo. Yeah, I was just sure, all, winning sure. all the way home.
1: Did not even have to break out the Sean (laughs) Colvin.
2: No, for sure. So he's hanging out in San Francisco, trying to make it. In 91, he, uh, I can't remember, it's either his girlfriend or his wife at this time. She gets pregnant and she's like, you're a loser. Uh, You know, you're clean. At least you've got that going for you. I'm moving back to Portland where my parents are from. If you want to see your baby, come on up to Portland. So he moves up to Portland, takes out an ad, gets a drummer and a bassist creates Everclear. And uh, he puts out a, a self-released record that's uh, bad, just bad. Um, they, the grunge thing is so huge in Seattle. And you'll remember this from when we did... Um, the Black Crows, like the Athens, Georgia scene was so big that they signed every band in a 150 mile radius. They signed okay, the Georgia right. satellites, they signed the yeah. Black Crows. And the, the Black Crows were like from a suburban Atlanta. And they were like, yeah, sure, whatever. Athens, suburban Atlanta, who cares? Like <laughs> yeah. let's just sign them. Dude, they sign everybody in, in Seattle. Literally <laughs> like everybody who's ever been a band in Seattle, they've already signed. So they're like, oh, well, I hear it rains in Portland too. So they go down to Portland and they just start signing whoever's okay. there so Beating War actually breaks out for Everclear. They sign Everclear. So they put out their second record. And the spe- second record's called uh, Sparkle and Fade. Jeff, can you name the first single? You can name the second single for sure. It's, it's, it's maybe the best Everclear song or the second best one.
1: Well, the second single is Santa Monica. I yeah, can't totally. Remember. Don't
2: look at the screen. What's the I first can't single? Remember.
1: can't remember. All
2: right. So this is how confused they are. They have a, 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 Santa Monica is an all-time rock song. Like, that is a perfect rock song. And I can't believe that the record company heard this stupid record and wasn't like, oh, there's only one good song on it. Because, by the way, there's only one good song on this record. And it's by a mile, Santa Monica. Instead, they put out the two-minute and 24-second song, Heroin Girl. That's an ode to how awesome it is to date girls who are on heroin. Uh. the reason they put it out is because it's a horrible, really crappy Nirvana ripoff song. And they've actually signed them as a Nirvana ripoff band. So they're like, oh, we'll put out that Nirvana song. That'll be great. No radio play for that at all. So then they're like, oh, well, there's this other song, you know, Santa Monica, maybe, maybe people like that. Gargantuan, massive hit. Nothing else on the record hits. The record is weirdly bad. And actually, I went back and listened to it again today.
3: There's some so good songs bad? on the record.
2: Oh, okay. Art Alexicus produces it himself, and that's the problem. It sounds terrible. Santa Monica sounds great. Everything else on that record is just like muddy and crappy sounding, very unimaginative. So he sits down to record his third record. They actually put it in the can October 96. They turn to the, re- the record company. The A&R guy at the record company is like, listen, dude, um, I'll put this record out for you if you want to be a one-hit wonder and never be heard from again. But this record sucks. Go back, re-record it. You've got a better record than you. Re-record all these songs. So Alexa Kattis is livid, super mad. They go back to Portland. I think they've been recording in LA or San Francisco. They go back to Portland. They, they're practicing in a warehouse. They get a new producer who's not him. They get Neil Avron, who... Um, and Jeff, Neil Avron's claim to fame as a producer, according to him, is... He records the guitar part first, then the drum part, then the bass part. Does that make a lot of sense for this record?
1: Oh my god, yeah.
2: Right? I mean Every and actually ahead, like yeah. it actually makes sense for the record. The record is such a guitar first record. The guitar is the the, the melody and the rhythm. And then they build around the guitar and it just works like it's, it won't always work. Believe me, the next Everclear record I will work for. And then every record after that, I won't work for, but for this record, he just captures that sound perfectly. So the lead singer, the guitarist, the guy who writes all the song is just so mad. He cuts half of the material from what he turned into the record company. And he records a brand new record and it's one of the rawest, most painful records i've ever heard like the first song is so much for the afterglow that's the name of the record it's got a 45 second minute and a half beach boys thing where they're doing these beautiful harmonies and then it comes into a breakup song so much for the afterglow this is a record that has a song about breaking up with a girlfriend this is a song that has a record about your girlfriend dating somebody else and breaking your heart This is a song that has a record about your mom getting hauled off to a mental institution. And then most importantly, it has a song about your dad leaving you when you're five and beating your mom in front of you. Super apologetic. Jeff, if you could start at 226 for the third verse, which is like one of the most searing verses in rock music. Father of Mine by Everclear. Father of mine Tell me where have you been Yeah, just close my eyes And the world disappears.
3: Father of mine
1: Tell me how do you sleep With the children
2: record when it came out this is my favorite record from that year this and the, the record hasn't stayed with me as much this song has really stayed with me it had a huge comeback when my daughters were basically six and eight and i was trying to introduce them i told you i when we were swimming upstream with rock music i had a really hard time they right. just still are very mixed on rock music one clue and one sign of a song that they're gonna like is if you could tell them a story about the song so i told right. them a story about the song i was like This poor guy, his dad left him. His dad beat up his mom. Like, even as a little kid, they were like, oh my God. Like, as soon as you hear it, you can't get it out of your mind. No. The girls really liked it. I put it on the super fun kids mix and then it kind of got into my psyche. And remember I was saying with James Brown, like part of this list is like a continuing re-examination of male identity. And then also this thing as a parent. So, the part where he's like, I'm a grown man with a child of my own. Um, I've come to believe that he's half right on that. So, I mean, obviously my parents were super lovely to me, especially in comparison to this. Uh, but there is a version of parenting where you're just reacting to the things that hurt you when you were a little kid. And I totally get that. Like, and uh, believe me, I've been in charge of that. But it's also wrong. Like that's the not the right way to do it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you have to let your mm-hmm. kids make their own mistakes. You have to do it your own style. You can't just overreact to what your parents did. Um, It's so hard. It's so hard. Oh, no, for sure. I mean. And then, like, listen, speaking of hard, the other thing that this reminds me of is uh, there's nothing I've wanted to be better at more than being a parent. uh There's no single thing I've ever done in my life that I've cared more about. Uh Um, and the harder I've tried the worse I've been at it (laughs) no I'm totally serious in my life most of the time when I try hard at something I'm good at it this is the opposite the harder I try the worse it is like, this song is like, that's what I mean by like, now I'm a, t- a grown man, to a certain extent, you kind of have to pull back and let not let your own pain drive the bus, because if you let your own pain drive the bus, it's not gonna work out. And then this is super extra mega sad. But this poor guy, like, it's it's alleged that he beat up his, his, his daughter's mom. Like, that's, oh. I, I'm not gonna say whether that's true or not. But I mean, there's a repeated cycle to this. Oh, and then like, this is a funnier story. So, good if that huge, one wasn't funny at all. No, right. he's a huge 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 pain in the ass this guy and you can tell from the story and from the album that he's just kind i mean he's just a real exacting person and a pain in the ass to deal with the 20-year anniversary of this record i was like well, i consider this record a masterpiece there must be a bunch of so- a bunch of stories about it there really aren't very many there's an oral history of this album from the willamette weekly Okay, so this is the free weekly paper that comes out in Portland. And he he refuses to be interviewed for this, even though the producer and the drummer and the bassist and the original producer who we fired are all interviewed for it. So I'm like, why would this guy not talk to the Willamette Week? Well, dude, then you read through it. He was like he's the most hated guy in Portland. He was voted most hated musician in Portland, like seven years in a row in this stupid thing. They called him a carpetbagger. They were like, he's not representative of the real Portland. They buried this guy. So needless to say, he didn't talk to the Willamette Weekly. So here they are 20 years later, still killing him. Still (laughs) killing him. It was so funny. And they actually went back. Part of the oral history is they got the original critic from the Willamette Weekly who was like, oh yeah, I interviewed him. He's a huge dickhead. And they just buried him again 20 years later. It would be like, Aww. like imagine who you had the worst interaction with 20 years ago, and they interviewed yeah. you, and you got a chance to re-bury <laughs> the guy. Like, it's so good.
3: Oh, I, I, wanted, it. It, I wanted it to be a happy that
2: ending.
1: <laughs> that was great. You're spot on, by the way. The other song on this record you have to listen to is I Will Buy You A New Life. That song yeah. is just equally- That's specific. the song to right. his mother.
2: No, no, that's to his, yeah. that's to his, that- to
1: his, to his, to his baby mama, yeah, here's the money that I brought you for paying the bills. I'll give a little more when I get paid again.
2: Well, and he's talking about this other boyfriend. Money is the root of all the
1: money is the root of all that kills. They have never known, sir. They have never known the joys of a welfare Christmas. That is a, that sounds uh, deeply
3: cutting. That's no, just brutal. It's great.
1: It I will
3: know. always be weird
1: inside.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh,
1: so yeah.
3: painful, so painful
1: funny that's a record where if it got under your skin you couldn't let go of it because i had like an eight-month obsession with so much for the afterglow and i i i don't have it anymore but in in 98 99 i played that record a lot it oh really yeah played, me too it really punched me in the gut but speaking of records i have played a lot um yeah so my let's pick go is, my pick is boring and obvious and uh to quote Jack Black and High Fidelity, why don't you just pick Beethoven's Fifth Symphony side one track one? Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, There's nothing clever about this, but sometimes you have to get out of your own way and just pick. So 1997 is the last year I can think of where a rock album, well, maybe you can make an argument for 2000. We'll see. We're going to get there. But I think OK Computer by Radiohead is the last moment that the entire rock music community rallied around a single record the way it used to the way abbey road would be on everybody's stereo or the way that a stone's record would do that the the, the rock music fan group had become pretty fractured by 1997 and there's guys like kyle listening to Soundgarden, and other people listening to other stuff and there isn't there are very few records everyone can agree on anymore. Everyone's got a beef with something about somebody or some other. And um, and that's probably me included, like I just, we, we were starting to consume our music differently and there was so much and, you know, but I can remember uh, hearing Paranoid Android for the first time and before the voice even started, like just the first 40 seconds of instrumental introduction, I was, I was like, this is spectacular. And I liked The Bends, but I didn't love it. Like, I heard Creep and thought Creep is a perfectly fine little single, but I thought that the, 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 um, the production on the first Radiohead record was hard to get through. Like, I like those songs, but I don't love that, the sound of that record. And when I listen to those songs, I listen to live versions. The Benz is a, I thought was a really good record, but, but it, um, it didn't grab me the way it grabbed you like Ben or other people. Like, I mean, I didn't dislike it and I liked it, but it wasn't like the record of the year for me. And okay. Computer was like instantly a record. I was like this, I don't, I'm going to buy this the day it comes out. And, and it was because I'd heard paranoid Android as an advanced track. And then as I was talking to friends and talking about music, I'm and, OK Computer was the first thing everybody brought up. I was just like, have you heard OK Computer? And People were talking about it and they were, they were, they had really hard opinions on it. They loved it or they didn't love it, but they, everybody couldn't stop listening to it. Um, and I've, I've made the argument to my rock band class that if you, if you were going to put like only 10 songs in a time capsule for every decade, like I think it's an almost impossible exercise to do, but every decade there's at least one song where I'm like that if that one's not in there the list means nothing and any list of the 10 most important songs of 90, of the 90s regardless of genre that doesn't have paranoid android on it isn't credible that song is it's in three parts it's brilliantly constructed it's brilliantly recorded um and and very much so for the guitar solos the two guitar solos of paranoid android like I fell in love with the electric guitar again. Like, I think they're, they're so brilliantly inventive and they're so squalling and chromatic and dissonant, but also incredibly beautiful at the same time. And, uh, this record has, the song has like all the great polyrhythmic drumming that we just heard in father of mine played on the rim instead of the head by, uh, uh, Selway and like the interplay between the guitars is so gorgeous. And, Give it up for Tom York, the lyrics are beautiful and his voice is just all over the place. It's soaringly beautiful, it's viciously angry. They let themselves be beautiful and they let themselves be ugly. Um, Another example of just everything I love about rock music, the energy, the melody, the frustration, the rage, the sonic assault, the tension and release, Paranoid Android.
2: Paranoid Android by Radiohead.
1: It's six and a half minutes, but it's the six and a half minutes that goes by for me in like two minutes every time. Like I'm never yeah, like a, I'm a bit sick of it. And it's so many different things happening. It's got one of the greatest bass parts, like the pre-chorus bridge instrumental section. The bass part is just genius and, and counterpoint to what the guitars are doing. And, Can you uh, tell me,
3: what, what are the instruments being played in that song?
1: Well, so that, that beginning is just bass, acoustic guitar, and drums, but then they bring in these wonderful old 70s synths, okay. several different kinds of, of electric guitars, all coming through different kinds of speakers and effects. Um, but the other thing is, like, I've seen York play Paranoid Android solo acoustic, and it completely holds up as a composition. Just It's a great song first, and then it's a great band performance second. A lot of people call yeah. this record the dark side of the moon of its generation and I prefer this record so much to Dark oh, Side yeah. of yeah, I think it's yeah. so much better um, and maybe it's just because Dark Side of the Moon came out when I was five and this one <laughs> came out when I was not five and so it hit me like a freight train but uh, I've listened to this record too many times for me to be surprised by it anymore but um, that I think Paranoid Android is uh, that band's crowning achievement and one of the one of the best rock and roll songs ever recorded.
2: Wow. Yeah, it's a great song. The Both record favorite. is great. And also, I mean, so first of all, I actually, I've said before, I prefer The Benz. Um, that being said, I recognize this as a a, a big artistic statement and a leap forward. Uh, it's a super challenging record. It's got really weird songs. on it. It, it, I mean, basically the reason I prefer The Benz is it's got some songs on here that I don't even really like. I don't like The, the Tourist um, and No Surprises. I don't like the... the uh, the, the, those slow ones aren't don't don't hold up in comparison to the ones on the bends. That being said, the record is amazing. I my one recommendation would be Glass and Berry June 28th 1997. I know definitely oh. agree with me. Dude, just peak of their powers. and it's a blend of the bends and this record. And you Say it again. You,
3: say it again. Say it again. Say
2: it again. It's Glass, live and at Glass and Berry June 1997 and it's one of those ones where um, like on my iTunes, I'll have the uh, uh, bootleg, and I'll have three or four songs. I have the entire right. album in yep. order, and I'll sit down and listen to it in order. Like just like if I'm in the mood, I'll just be like, oh, I'll just listen to that entire show yes. in order. Which is not something that you I don't I do without CDs anymore. But I mean, it's that good. I exactly. believe how good they are. Yep. Yeah. So That's great.
1: Just- just before their, just before fame makes life difficult for them at the absolute height of their powers, they love all the early stuff. They're in so in love with their new material, and it's a, you know, it's they're headlining the Pyramid Stage at the biggest festival in their home. In country. the world,
3: yeah, and, yeah.
1: They, and they just bring it. I mean, usually oh. the stadium shows aren't the ones where bands are like at their peak, but Ben is so right that Radiohead of Glastonbury has got to be one of the all-time great and it's and it was recorded by for fm radio so the sound is great it's mixed really well i feel i mean yeah i just love it
2: and i will have a radiohead song to come i love radiohead i love this record and this entire period this entire radiohead era is just amazing they're the a-plus band at this time they're definitely the ones who are pushing the limits
3: well that is fascinating because i don't know what you've got ahead of you because this is it for me shut it down. No, no more radio. No. Well, he talked me into, he talked me into this Android. All right, (laughs) gentlemen, you've done well tonight. I like both your songs, uh, but you both have come up short because the best song from 1997, uh, isn't one of your little three minute radio songs or one of your six minute, like art rock songs. It's a 16 minute song. Jeff, we're going to the Highlands.
2: Oh, oh, my, oh Timmy, hey, my heart's he, in the Highlands.
3: My heart's in the Highlands. We're going there with uh, our good friend, Bob Dylan. And this is, this is my favorite part of this. Usually I say, oh, start it at the three minute mark. Jeff, I want you to start Highlands at the 10.45 mark. Okay. And we'll, put, we'll bring it home.
1: Highlands by Bob Dylan.
3: But she says, you just don't
1: seem like you do. I said, you're way wrong. She says, which ones have you read then? I said, read Erica Jones. She goes away for a minute. And I slide out out of my chair. I step outside back to the busy street But nobody is going anywhere
3: Where my heart's in the highlands
1: With the horses and hounds Way up in the border country Far from the towns With the twang of the arrow And the snap of the bow My heart's in the highlands Can't see any other way
3: Okay, oh, great. So listeners, if you've never heard this song, it's a lot like that, but for 16 minutes, right? I mean, you can't go wrong with a song that knows what it is and really kind of draws it out for you over the course. Like musically, it's the exact same the whole time, right?
1: More or less. That's 12 bar, right?
3: Yeah. Do you get bored playing something like that, gentlemen? You can if it's you- not
1: good. Yeah, I think the worst job in America is bass player in a in a blues band. I, I mean, just playing one four five all night. Like, I can't do it. But
3: <laughs> but, but if, if the- you're hanging out with Bob Dylan and he's telling a story about walking into a diner and not knowing what to order, and the waitress says, "What, Ben Barton?"
2: <laughs> so. Can I can I do the long version of what yeah, I have to say? Yeah, go ahead, long version. Right, so the ahead. first thing I'll say is I'm a sports fan. Y'all are sports fans. You're going to get yes. this. If you've rooted for a baseball team and you've had a pitcher who every third time out just throws a no-hitter, and then every second time out, they're kind of mediocre, and then every third time out, it's just like straight down the pipe, nothing but home runs. <laughs> These are your selections, Tim Plain. They're amazing. <laughs> Just when I think that I'm just completely out on the Tim Plains selections, you just bring me back in. No hitter. Uh, David Wells, the Yankee pitcher who threw the no hitter. Yes. <laughs> yes. Or, or how about Dion Waiters, the basketball player? Yes. Every fourth, sh- every two out of three shots, you're like, what are you doing, Dion? What are you yeah. doing? And then every the third one just is just stroking beautifully. I love this song. This is one of my favorite, Bob. D- it's really, it's a top 10 Bob Dylan song for me. It really it's a, is. It's a I love bizarre it. random song. So the, 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 the beginning and the end of the song, and it's perfect. I love where you cut it off and started it. With My Heart in the Highlands or The Hearts in the Hounds. Yep. It's a long, really beautiful poetic rumination on death. Like the whole album's about death and actually basically Dylan's first record's about death. He's always thinking sure. about death. But this is like, he's at the tail end of things. Like he's got a whole part of it where he's in the park and he's watching young people. And he's like, I would trade my life with any of them. I'd uh, give up everything just to be young again. Like that's what uh-huh. the song's about. Uh-huh. And then there's this middle part where there's a <laughs> five minute story where he goes into a diner in Boston. And he's like, there's nobody around. It must be a holiday. And then he sits down and, he, and the woman comes over and she's like, what, what do you want? want? And he's like, I don't know what I want. And she's like, I bet you want eggs. And he's like, that's a hard boiled yeah. egg. And he's like, that's yeah. right. That's what I want. Bring me some. And she's like, you picked the wrong time to come. We don't have them. <laughs> then he goes through this thing where she asks him to paint a picture of her. And he draws this really ugly picture and she's super mad at him. So then she yep. says to him, I bet you don't read women authors much. And he's like, "That." And this is where we pick up the song. That's where yeah. you're way wrong. And she's like, which ones have you read? <laughs> I read Erica Jong. And when you can rhyme wrong and Erica Jong, you've got it going on. And the yeah. thing that's amazing is there's no, the rest of this stupid part where he's mumbling about ordering <laughs> eggs doesn't rhyme right. at all. It's like a smoking word. just slips poem. out. Yeah, he chooses to choose the rhyme those two. Only only line.
1: topped by Chuck Woolery and Tom Foolery and Beastie Boys. Hayley. Yeah, no.
2: But I mean, just an all-timer. I love this one. And also similar to what I was saying, like this is just late period Bob Dylan where he can still rear back and throw a hundred. Like, I mean, this is just a great song.
1: Yeah. Right. I love it too. I, I still think Not Dark Yet is the song off this record. Not Dark Yet is uh... – just destroys me from. But I'm time getting there. Um, yeah, that, um, and I just think it's it the 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 quality of the of the musicians on that song. I like think the musicians get that song exactly right in the background. Um, my problem with Time out of Mind is a it's recorded so quickly that the musicians are just starting to get comfortable on the final take. Like I wish they'd taken one more day on it, but uh, they some of the songs well, they get they get totally right. But uh, well, we great we choice
3: yeah we've gone on too long i tell you what though um not dark yet might just be the podcast theme song right we're still kicking <laughs> oh,
2: grim. we're still grim. we're on the other side of the hill but we're still kicking <laughs> i guess that's better than father of mine we definitely don't want that to be the oh, of it definitely that.
1: That. dear not lord dark yet but it's getting there oh i'm uh, not ready for that tim
2: no way
3: all right well gentlemen thanks so much for a great night
2: By the way, Jeff, that's Tim rubbing it into us. We're 51 and he's 50. He's dunking all over us now. I'm starting to to feel the shade. We're going to have to worry about
1: that. Um, (laughs) Yeah, you, brothers. I'll see you next week. Well done. Thank you, you Jeff. Thank you, Timmy. Awesome. Great job, fellas.
3: Hey, if you're having as much fun as we are, leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a rating on Spotify iHeartRadio. Wherever you listen to podcasts, give us a shout. And then check us out on Twitter or at our Facebook page, 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys.
2: Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a beautiful day.
1: and live in a life by your own design.
3: Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success.
1: This is Unapologetically Fast.
3: An Electric Cast production.
1: I'll see you there.
2: Electric Cast.